may be seated. Hey, everybody, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, Great to see you with us today. I hope you've had a great week and uh, having a great day. Uh, We're having a a great day here at Coastal, having an interesting day. Uh, I was just informed that all the women's restrooms and men's restrooms are backed up with some sort of plumbing issue. So uh, welcome to Hardee's. And uh, right after church, we're going to all head over there. In fact, if someone would let me know at some point, you know, first impressions people, if they're back on. I don't know. we got somebody looking at them. But uh, I, I was told that, believe it or not, there's some secret uh, bathrooms around here at Coastal, some hidden bathrooms. There's one uh, in the nursery. There's one down in Coastal Kids. And uh, we will maybe station, if, there, if, you, if there's an emergency and you need to go to the restroom, we'll have a security person down that way and let you go to the restroom. So anyway, we are in... Um, week uh, like five or six here of Game On, and I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as we have. Some of you uh, have enjoyed it. Some of you are tired, uh, ready for the series to be over with because you're tired of all the Clemson uh, references and Carolina jokes, and uh, hey, but Carolina didn't lose yesterday. That's right. They didn't play either, but um, anyway, uh, no, but uh, this has been a great series, and I've I've really enjoyed it. You know, we kicked off this series really with this overall idea, kind of the big idea, maybe the big idea of the whole series is that, you know, with God, uh, it's never game over. It's always what? It's always game on. There's always, you know, there's always a second chance. There's always an opportunity with God, you know, for forgiveness and new life and a fresh start. And uh, no matter what you've done or no matter where you've been, and maybe you just need to hear that today. Uh, as you came in here today, maybe for the very first time. Uh, we then left uh, that idea and went on and talked about uh, building a great team. And what does it take to b- build a great team and encourage you to be a part of our team? Then we got even a little more specific and basically said that everybody has a position to play on the team. And uh, we challenge you to find a place of service, a, a place to volunteer in ministry, uh, even here at Coastal. And a lot of people uh, stepped up to that challenge. We have so many awesome volunteers here uh, at Coastal. There's always room for you. There's always room for more volunteers. There's always a need. Um, Then uh, last week, we talked about this idea of, you know, never quitting. You know, playing to the very end. In fact, you know, college football especially is just rife with illustration after illustration. Even, you know, yesterday, all kinds of examples of, hey, play to the very end. You never know what can happen. And uh, today, uh, as we kind of wrap up this series and of Game On, I want to talk about recruiting. Uh, recruiting. Now, see if you can fill in the blank. These are a couple of, um, you know, football, old football cliches. Here's one. Um, blank wins championships. Defense, right. Um, Defense wins championships. Now, even in an age of high-powered West Coast offense, you still hear that phrase today. In fact, the idea behind it is that, you know, your offense might get you to the playoffs. Your playmakers, you know, might get you through the regular season. But you better at least have a decent, uh, you know, defense when you get to to the playoffs because at that level, you know, everybody's got playmakers, so you better be able to stop your opponents. And great defenses not only know how to, you know, stop their opponent, win the field position battle, but they can even score. So defense wins championships. Uh, what about this cliche? This one really is from college football. Uh, defense might win championships, but blank builds dynasties. Now, I've already given you a hint this morning. Recruiting. 
Recruiting builds dynasties. Now, what is recruiting? Now, I realize that back in the day, recruiting was just another word for cheating <laughs> or Danny Ford. If you're, and I'm a Clemson fan, I can say that. Um, but everybody knows, right, that today college athletics has completely cleaned itself up and, and uh, money and goods and services are never exchanged for young athletes to come and play at a particular uh, college or university. Unless, of course, you play basketball for Louisville, where evidently recruiting means strippers. So... Um, <laughs> Man, did you see that last week? Oh, my goodness. That was disgusting. I thought that was long past. Anyway, I guess not. But recruiting really is this the overall process of selecting, attracting, and convincing athletes, young athletes, to come and play for a particular school. Now, obviously... Not every, you know, five-star, blue-chip recruit, whatever they call them, you know, becomes a superstar. But, uh, in fact, there, there are plenty of, um, you know, plenty of stories that kind of, you know, prove that to be true. But if you don't believe that recruiting, you know, long-term, solid, good recruiting builds dynasties, here is a list of the top 15 schools who have signed more blue chip uh, athletes than non-blue chip athletes over the past four recruiting classes, okay? So uh, this is the top 15. Who do you think is number one? Alabama, number one. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, USC, not South Carolina, Southern California. Anyway, I'll go through the rest of these pretty quickly. Notre Dame. LSU, Texas, Florida uh, State, uh, Michigan, Florida, Auburn, Georgia, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and at number 14, Clemson, and uh, wrapping out, rounding out the top 15, Oregon. Now, get this, though. This is even the more, the more telling statistic. Every national championship since 2002 has been won by programs in that list. So, recruiting builds dynasties. Not to say there's not anomalies and there's not, you know, uh, teams that kind of rise to the occasion, but recruiting builds dynasties. Here's what I think. Recruiting is all about relationships. In fact, I I think if you were to talk to any great recruiter in any uh, school, any sport, they would tell you the same thing. Recruiting is all about relationships. Now, here's the hook today. I believe Jesus was a great recruiter. Jesus was a great recruiter. You ever think about that? I want you to think about it in in those terms today. Um, But here's the deal. Jesus recruited people that nobody else wanted. I mean, he went after people that had been cast aside, rejected, uh, people that nobody else wanted. I mean, he, think about it. He recruited the drunk, the blind, the diseased, the hated, the morally bankrupt. He recruited people that nobody else wanted because he could see something that nobody else could see, their heart. Think about it. He recruited the woman uh, in Scripture who was caught in adultery 
Today we might say that uh, that recruit had character issues. Um, you know, nobody would have gone after uh, that type of person today. He recruited, think about this, we'll go not just character, but, but physical traits. He recruited Zacchaeus. Now, not only was Zacchaeus morally bankrupt and, you know, was a hated tax collector, but the Bible says what about his physical stature? That's right, he was short. Some translations say small in stature. He's like five foot nothing. I mean, we really don't know. How, but we know he had to climb a tree, right, to see, you know, above the crowd. I mean, think, I think he's like Rudy without all the love and support, okay? So no movies being made after this guy. But, but even the disciples, I mean, you do a short little study on these guys, and what you soon discover is that none of these guys were, you know, five-star blue chip recruits. I mean, these were like the hard-nosed, foul-mouthed dock workers of the day, fishermen for the most part, tax collector. They, you know, but Jesus could see something. He could see what nobody else could see. And the Bible even says later that he used these types of people to turn the world upside down. And guess what? He recruited you. He went after you. He left all the glory and wonder and perfection and beauty of heaven to build a relationship with you, to reach out to you, to love you. Why? Why do that? Well, the answer is, is simple. It's love. Jesus walked from heaven to earth to show his love for us. You know, it's the, it's the great, uh, you know, sports uh, scripture verse of banner of all time. John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved. Loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he did that. Get this, you ready? When we were all at our absolute worst, you know, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No, no five-star blue chip athletes here. Bunch of morally bankrupt people. I want you to know today, Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And there is nothing you could do that would make God love you any more than he does right now. And maybe more importantly for you, there's nothing that you could do or have done that would make him love you any less. You know, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth for a bunch of people that are trying to do the right thing. But Jesus chose to love us when we were doing what was wrong, when we were in rebellion. And he came to earth on a mission. And I want you to look at it today like it really was a, a recruiting mission. And, and you got to think about recruiting. Again, recruiting is, is a relationship, and it's a long-term relationship. Um, here's, how, here's how the Bible describes Jesus' recruiting trip, his mission. Luke 19.10 for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
That's, that's his mission. That's why he came. John 10.10, 10, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. And then, listen to how the Apostle Paul described God's recruiting trip, Jesus' mission. Listen to this. This is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. And I was the worst of them all. Now, it is clear that that was the purpose of Jesus' mission, to save sinners, to reach out to people and to give them life, to uh, to, to reach out to sick people, to call sinners, not people who are in their pride think that they don't need salvation, but those who are sick, those who are hurting. Now, here's, here's the transition. When Jesus left this world, he passed on his mission to us. He passed on. He basically said, okay, now, you are my recruiting team. You are on a mission. In fact, we call it the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus said to his disciples, he's saying to us, he says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are now... God's recruiting team. We have the same mission that Jesus had. In fact, John 17, 18 describes it like this. This is Jesus talking. Listen to what he says. As you sent me, he's talking to his father. As you sent me into the world, I am what? What is he saying? I'm sending them. Who's he talking about? Us. You and me, his followers. Now, why? Why are we to be recruiting what is our motivation? Where our motivation, it should be the same that Jesus had. Love. Compassion. We never look into the eyes of another human being that wasn't created in the image of God and who doesn't matter to God just as much as we do. And if people matter to God, they ought to matter to us. Now, who are we trying to recruit? Because even Jesus said, you know, I came for sick people. I came for sinners. I didn't come for people who in their pride don't realize they need salvation. So who are we coming after? Who are we going after? Who are we trying to recruit? Well, anybody who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, what's our strategy? How are we going to do that? What's our recruiting strategy? Well, I'm glad you asked that today. Because that's really what I want to spend most of our time talking about. Now again, any great recruiter will tell you that recruiting is all about relationships. It takes time. And it is amazing how early these recruiters will come to a, a, a campus to get to meet a kid who has promise. I mean, they'll show up in middle school, junior high, high school, ninth grade. And, and it, it takes time. And you've got to look at recruiting as a, as a long-term relationship. You're in it for the long haul. I think the same is true about evangelism. That it's all about 
It's all about relationships. In fact, sometimes I don't even like to use the word evangelism because it freaks some of you out. And you have in your, a picture in your mind of like a televangelist. And if I, you know, that's, that's kind of weird. I don't want to be like that. Or you think in your mind that if people don't, you know, if you share your story or your faith with somebody and they don't come to Christ or they don't come to church right off the bat, that you're a loser and, you know, God can't use you. No, 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 no. You got to think about it in terms of the long haul. And that we're all in this together. And you might be the one, you know, who plants the seed here. And maybe somebody else follows up and they water. And somebody else pulls a weed here or there. But it's, it's you got to look at it over the long time, over the long haul, and uh, that you are earning the right to be heard. You're building a relationship. Okay? Now, this morning, I want to talk about our strategy for evangelism. And then I want to give you uh, some, some recruiting tips. Okay, so our recruiting strategy, our evangelism strategy here at Coastal is very simple. Two words, invest and invite. Invest and invite. Now, let me explain the first word, first of all, invest. Invest simply describes that process of building a relationship. And what I mean by that is, first of all, you've got to understand that you are a missionary sent by God to make an impact. You're on a mission where you live, where you work, and where you play. And that God's got you right where he has you for a reason. And right where you live, where you work, and where you play, you need to live for Christ. Be real. Be genuine. Live out your faith. And as you do that, you're also called to love people. You know, because they matter to God. And because if they matter to God, then they ought to matter to you. And then you build a friendship. And over time, because you're living out your faith, you're being genuine, you're building a friendship, you earn the right to be heard. And you're praying for this person. And then all of a sudden you have an open door to share your faith, to share your story, to invite them to Coastal. Because when you invite them to Coastal, we're going to point them to Jesus. Now, here's what I want us to do today. I want to give you some recruiting tips, if you will. Some, uh, some ways, seven ways that I think that we all could improve our recruiting a little bit. So this is kind of maybe more of an insider's uh, message today, but I think there's something for all of us here. Number one, serve with kindness. Serve the people in your life where you work, where you live, and where you play in your community, serve with kindness. Now, would you agree with me this morning that we are living in a day and a time of a kindness deficit? A kindness deficit. I mean, have you noticed that if someone is kind to you, and what I mean by that, if someone just goes out of their way to, you know, to do some positive act of, of kindness or go above and beyond, you know, some little positive act of love. Can it be a small thing? It becomes a big deal. I mean, like, it, and it really doesn't matter. It could be uh, at a restaurant. You know, it could be at a retail place. It could be where you work. Why is it such a big deal today? Because it's so rare. You know, Ephesians 4, 32, the very first part of the verse says this. Instead, be what? Be kind. Listen, there's so much power in kindness, I really do believe that small things done consistently over time with great love 
can change the world. I believe that. I believe that's true uh, in relationships. I especially believe that's true in marriage. Small things done consistently over time with great love can make a huge, huge impact. You know, the truth is, you know, <laughs> not that I'm saying that there are no, you know, blue chip five-star recruits here in this room, but I doubt that anybody in here is probably going to do that one thing, that one huge big thing that's going to get you on the cover of Time Magazine, Time Man of the Year, Time Woman of the Year. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have great people here, but, you know, for the most part, that's probably not going to happen. However, guess what? We can all do small things. We can all do those, those day-by-day things. And when those small things are repeated over time, it, it earns us the right to be heard. It, it, it's love. Look for ways to serve people who are not yet believers and then serve them with kindness. Number two, second tip. Speak positively about the church. Speak positively about the church. Have you noticed that it is in vogue today to bash the local church. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, people for the most part, even outside of the church. What I'm referring to is that people who call themselves Christians, and you see it all the time. You know where you especially see it where? Where? Social media, right? Facebook. You, you know what that does? It drives a wedge between those people who might be open to God and the church. Listen to me for a second. The church is not perfect. The church is not perfect. Do you know why the church is not perfect? Anybody? That's right, because you're here. I'm here. I mean, nobody is perfect. You're not. I'm not. And I believe, I really believe that speaking negatively about the church, even if it's with other Christians, is a bad idea. Because theologically speaking, the Bible says that the church, even though we are the imperfect reflection of the perfect Christ, the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. And not just any bride. We are, we are the bride of Christ adorned for her wedding day. Man, that's a beautiful image of how God views the church. Look at Ephesians 4.29. In light of that, in light of that, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words would be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let me ask you, is what you say about the church and the people in the church an encouragement to other people? Or is it a discouragement? I mean, if we're supposed to be reaching out to people, we're recruiting people. If the same mission that Jesus had, he's passed on to us. And if we're speaking negatively about the bride of Christ, I don't think that's a good thing. Tip number three, warmly welcome the guest in my church. Warmly welcome the guest in my church. If you've been around Coastal for any length of time, you know we talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about guests. We actually believe that the church should be like a family expecting Guests. Now, let's say that you're going to come to my house for dinner uh, one particular night. We would begin preparing for it before for that event, for you coming, way before you got there, right? I mean, most people would do that. I mean, Christopher and I would make sure that Janet picked up after herself and um, <laughs> cleaned up her stuff. And, and um, no, we'd probably clean up a little bit. You know, we'd probably even pick out a menu. 
uh, of whatever we thought you might enjoy. In fact, we'd, we might even make a phone call and say, hey, you know, do you have any favorites? Or we'd try to make sure that we didn't, you know, fix something that you were allergic to or, or hated. We, we, would, we would think through the evening because we'd be expecting you. Now, that's a great image of what happens here every week at Coastal. We're trying to create such a warm and welcoming atmosphere because this is a family expecting guests. We work hard at that. We work hard at trying to create that consistent atmosphere of hospitality. Long before you got here, we started. there are people here who started thinking through how we could make this place feel welcome and warm. That's why the toilets don't work this morning. So, anyway... <laughs> I, you know, Satan is just trying to do that. I know that. So anyway, um, Romans 15, 7. So warmly welcome each other into the church just as Christ has warmly welcomed you. Then God will be glorified. That's a great verse. Um, you know, just a, let, let me give you a little thought. Just a, a simple suggestion. You know, and Michael this morning got you to smile. A smile and a you know, a warm welcome goes such a long way when people come to a, a place they've never been and they see a friendly face and they, they hear a, a warm welcome. In fact, this morning, everybody smile again and turn to your neighbor and say, good morning, welcome to Coastal. Go ahead and say that right now, do it. Okay, you did a little bit better than the first service, I have to admit. They were terrible this morning. Um, number four, here's another tip, and this is important. Uh, pray. Pray for my unchurched friends. You know, I've said this before. I, it really floors me when people treat prayer like the last resort that they have. Oh, my goodness, there's nothing else we can do now but pray, you know. And where that's, that's our go-to, you know, response. That's, a, that's the thing that we, we shoot for first. We, we underestimate the spiritual power that comes when we pray for people. I was thinking about that this week, especially early on in my, in my own life when people prayed for me. Uh, you know, my parents had separated in, when I was in middle school, and during that separation, my dad died, and um, it was a very difficult time. And I remember thinking, especially now looking back on it, that I could have easily gone in a very different direction. But it was just amazing how all along my path, God seemed to put some very faithful Christian people in my path who took it upon themselves not only to be there for me and to love me, but to pray for me. And, and they really almost like, they made me like their little prayer project. And to this day, many of them still, still pray for me. What if, what if they hadn't prayed for me? I mean, I think about that. What, I wonder if my life would have gone a different way. I'll bet if you think about it this morning, you could name some people in your own life who prayed for you. They prayed for you when times were difficult. They prayed for you when you were in a period of transition or trouble. They prayed for you when you didn't know Christ. They prayed that you would come to know him. So my question for all of us today is this. Who are you praying for? And I really want to challenge you to develop a prayer list of people in your life. And listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for you know, people in other countries and other places. But I, I want, I mean, specifically, right, you know, within the people in your own circle of influence, where you live, work, and play, people in your life who don't know Jesus, develop a list of people 
like that that you can pray for. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you, what? First of all, to pray for all people. And as you make your request, plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. And I am so thankful for the people in my life who did that for me. And now, because you're praying for them, you're living out your faith, you're developing that relationship, God is beginning to open up doors of spiritual conversation between you and them. And then that leads me to number five. You can invite your friends to a coastal event. Invite your friends to a coastal event. You know, this is a pretty easy one because, you know, we got all kinds of special events here at Coastal throughout the year. You know, first of all, we do have multiple services throughout the year where we'll say, hey, we're kicking off a series or this is a big day. Do whatever it takes. Pull out all the stops. Get your friends here. Get your, specifically, get your seeking friends. Get your friends who are investigating. Get your friends who don't have a church home. Invite them and bring them to this particular service because when they come, they're going to hear about Jesus on this day very creatively, very intentionally. And then obviously there are those other, you know, special days where we do the same thing. Christmas Eve, Easter, Memorial Day weekend, Mother's Day, Father's Day. You know, when we kick off a series or we'll have an oyster roast or tailgating experience or, you know, vacation Bible school. That's a great thing to invite not just your friends but your friends' kids. Uh, a baptism at the beach. Operation Christmas Child when we pack and wrap all those boxes. A lot of our life groups, by the way, are intentionally designed for you to be able to invite your friends and maybe just give them a taste of faith. And, and some life groups are not, you know, in-depth Bible studies, but, but they're a chance to see other believers. It's a chance to hear people pray out loud. It's a chance to see people do life together, whether it's a running group or a kickball group or a dog walking group. Listen to Psalm 34, 8. I love this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust in him. Taste and see. I mean, sometimes a, a special, in fact, I think that's a great little definition of, of vacation Bible school. I just want kids who don't know Jesus to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, that's uh, an event that's kind of like a, a taste of the church, a taste of faith. And then number six, of course, here's a tip. Just invite your friends to church. Say, hey, now that you've experienced the taste, come to church with me. In fact, study after study after study has shown that at least 50% of your friends would come to church who are not yet, not yet Christians if you simply invited them. And then those numbers go way up if you've done the thing that we've been talking about. If you've made that investment over time, you've built that relationship, you've lived your faith, you've, you've, uh, you, you've loved and served, those numbers go even higher. And listen... Coastal, you do such a great job of this anyway. You really do. We have so many people here. And I just, I mean, one of the things that just makes my day as a pastor is when somebody comes up to me and wants to introduce their friend to me. A friend, you know, that they, that they got to come to Coastal. And in the back of my mind, you know, I kind of usually lock eyes with that person. And they know and I know, man, this is important. This is a big deal. And you guys, every single week here at Coastal, we have first-time guests. Every single week. And not all of them come because they Googled us, you know. A lot of them do, and that's great. But this right here is God's primary way of growing his
his church. God's not down on, you know, the internet or marketing or big events or all those kinds of things. But friend to friend invitation is the way that God has blessed from the beginning of the church. In fact, go back with me just for a second to the early book of Acts. I want to show you something. When the book of Acts was started, there's like obviously, you know, 11 disciples, okay? That's it who are followers of Jesus. But by the time it gets to Acts chapter 6, some scholars estimate that there are as many as twenty-five to 30,000 followers of Jesus. Well, how in the world did that happen? Well, it happened because of the Internet. No, of course not. No, it happened because people shared with their friends. Acts 2.41, it says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. That was a big event. That was a big day. Um, Then verse 47, it says, And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved, friends, sharing with friends, sharing with friends. So the church now has gone from like 11 to 3,000. And then in Acts 4, it says, But many of the people who heard their message, uh, heard of their message, believed it, so that the number of believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So again, you could estimate that as maybe as many as 12,000 people. So it's gone from 11 to 3,000, maybe over 12,000. And then over the next couple of chapters, you simply see this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied. By the way, don't, don't be afraid or, uh, of numbers. And, and don't, don't, be, don't get down on people counting what God is doing. You see, they share these numbers here, 3,000, 5,000. Why? I think because God wants us to see what he's doing, how he's working. And so when we talk about numbers, when we talk about, hey, how many people were in church today or how many people came to faith in Christ, how many people are in our life groups, how many people got baptized, that is just a way of celebrating what God is doing. We count here because people count. People count. Every person matters. Every person has a story, and it matters. I wonder sometimes if we underestimate what God could do through us. You ever been guilty of maybe underestimating how God wants to use you to bring your friends to Christ? to invite your friends to church. I mean, God's plan has always been for his church to grow, and I I think we have a great opportunity coming up very quickly in the near future to do exactly that. But I want to I share something with you from my heart this morning, and the truth is, it's a little bit of confession and, and repentance on my part. What I'm talking about as far as like the big event coming up in the near future is um, the first service that we're going to have in our new facility. And uh, we all know that the new facility seats like 600 people. And, uh, you know, we, we don't really know exactly when the, you know, the move-in date will be. But as we get, as it gets closer, obviously, you will know. When I know, you'll know. And we're going to make a, we want to make it a big day. In fact, we want to make it almost like a big grand opening, maybe one of the biggest days we've ever had, like our, you know, bigger than our anniversary service, bigger, you know, than an Easter service. We really want to see what God could do through us. Now, I asked that question, have you ever been guilty of underestimating? Well, here's my confession and my, my repentance today. Um, you know, for a while, as we've been talking about moving into the new facility, especially months and months ago, when, when we first talked about 
building the new building, and, and we, we announced how many people it would seat. You know what, what, what I heard over and over again as far as services? What did people say? We, we'd go to how many services? Well, one. Because people are like, wow, we'll just go to one service. We can cram everybody in, in, in one, in, uh, you know, one service. And then, you know, so we started thinking about, thinking through that process of how many services we would have. And then, honestly, uh, at our fuel, and then leading up to fuel, we've been tinkering with the idea of going to two services. Because, and, and we, we kind of slid in a little bit of a justification by saying, well, you know, these would be two services more closer to, you know, prime time instead of just one like this particular service. But I'll be honest with you. The real reason that we've floated around the idea of going, you know, to two services instead of three services is what? Anybody know? It's just, uh-oh, I'll, just, I'll put it this way. It's just good old-fashioned selfishness. I mean, it really is. It's like, oh. It makes it so much easier, you know. We don't have to have worry about having volunteers for three services. We only got to do two services. And um, I'll be honest with you, God really convicted me about that this past week. Um, I was at my coaching network where I get away and you know from here and go meet with a coach and uh, other pastors from other places, and it's just a good time for me to get away and uh, have some really devoted time of prayer and thought away from here and away from uh, coastal. And, um, you know, God convicted me with this idea. When in the history of Coastal did we ever make a decision that was the right decision based on throttling back, based on ourselves, based on convenience? And the answer is never. So you know what, Coastal? We're going to keep three services, and we're going to fill them, we're going to fill them again, and I hope we have six and ten and twelve, and then we're going to figure out what to do next. You know, God forbid, in fact, I met with someone, I talked to one of our volunteers this past week, and actually it was Greg, uh, or our, he helps lead our first impressions team, and they're here all day long, and it's a hard day for them sometimes. And I was talking to him about, you know, going to two services or keeping three, and he said, Chris, I'm all in. He said, you know, I don't... The thought of standing before Jesus one day and have him go, hey, you know, back there in uh, 2015, why didn't y'all decide to throttle back and, and, and do two services instead of three? When, why was that a good idea? And uh, he's not going to have to have that conversation. We're going we're gonna to keep moving forward. And we're going to just see what God could do through his people if we trust him, if we build relationships, if we invite people to come to know him and just see what he might do when we open the doors that day in the new facility. So I hope you'll join me. And um, you don't care. You come to the prime service anyway, so you'll come to keep coming to 1015, right? But the good news is if we need to add 600 chairs in there, we will. Um, number seven, invite my friends to faith. Invite my friends to faith. You know, this is the ultimate goal of this whole process. This is more than just a little uh, tip. Um, the ultimate goal is to see people come to know Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking when I share that. Some of you think anytime we talk about evangelism, anytime we talk about reaching out to people and sharing our faith or inviting them to come to faith, you automatically think, well, I just don't know enough to do that. 
I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to reach people. I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to verbalize it. Um, first of all, let, 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 me, let me respond by saying this. That is one of the reasons why we do say, hey, invite your friends to Coastal. We are partnering together. Not just, you know, you with other believers in your life group, you with other believers here in the family, and then you and, and what happens here on Sunday morning. And that's why we say, hey, you bring your friends here to Coastal in a very creative, you know, way. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to, uh, they're going to hear the gospel. But then... Beyond that, let me share, let me share with, with you what you can do. Share your story and share your faith. You know, one of my favorite stories in Scripture is uh, the story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals this man who had been born blind, blind from birth. And we don't really know all the circumstances of his blindness except that his entire life he had been blind. Well, Jesus heals him. And the disciples, I mean, the Pharisees, as always, are ticked off uh, one, because Jesus is really developing a following at this point, and he keeps performing these miracles. And then secondly, because he healed on the Sabbath, and that was a no-no. So they get a hold of the blind guy, and they just interrogate him. Interrogate him. I mean, like, just drill him all about Jesus. They get a hold of his family, him. And after all of this is said and done, at the end of it, the guy basically says, Listen, I don't have all the answers that you're looking for. But I know this, I was blind, and now what? Now I can see. See, I think some of you are just like that, and that's okay. You know, you feel like you don't have all the answers, but you know what you could share? What a difference Jesus has made in your life, and how you came to know him. You know, I once was an addict, and now I've been set free by the power of Jesus. My marriage was once broken. Now it's been restored. I mean, what is your story? Share it. You know, you surrendered your life to Christ, and he did a miracle in our marriage, in my life, in my finances, in our parenting. You know, you have a story, and somebody needs to hear it. And if you have been doing exactly what I'm saying, building that recruiting relationship over time, intentionally, loving, serving, giving, sharing, praying for that open door, I guarantee you, you'll have an opportunity to share your story, to share your faith, or at the very least, invite them to Coastal. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for, um, for loving us the way you do. God, thank you for that everlasting love, that, that love in spite of, of our sinfulness, that at our very, very worst, you sent your son Jesus on a rescue mission, a recruiting trip, to reach out, to build a relationship, and to invite people to a full and abundant life here and now, and an eternal life in heaven forever. Father, thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for the people in my life who prayed for me and built that relationship with me and, and made those investments in my life. Father, I think about all the people here at Coastal that can say the same thing. Father, use us now. Use us here where we work, where we live, where we play, where we go to school 
to be your recruiting team, to build those relationships, to live out our faith, and to share those invitations. Father, uh, thank you. We pray all these things today.